Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions, like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. Well, Danny, uh, I'm afraid it's been six episodes uh, into the season, but you know what? Like, this is just not working out for me. Uh, you know, I, I think we're just going to need to to go into another direction. I, kn- I know you were kind of counting uh, on having this uh, this job throughout the whole season, uh, but you know, it wouldn't have made sense. We had such a successful year last year. I couldn't have fired you over the off season, but you know, things just aren't going as well as I want to uh, so far this year. You, you keep talking about all these veterans when th- these great rookies that we want talk about that's what the audience is interested in is hearing about these rookies all you want to talk about is just you know some aging shooter off the bench and how he's playing this year so uh, i'm sorry we're just gonna have to go in another direction i still get my money right uh who do you think i am dan gilbert (laughs) oh man uh our first wrong prediction it only took what like a week and a half yeah and and you said it in your tweet that like this might almost be the best thing that could have happened for Ty Lue. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as much as we, like you and I, I'll say, don't think that this should factor in when I'm sure when a coach applies for like however that process works, interviews for a job, that overall one loss record is something that teams are going to consider, especially teams that might not have the most stringent front offices in the world. And Ty Lue now doesn't get as much of the stink either in terms of his record or in terms of just seeing his face on the sidelines associating that with Cleveland having a lost season and so for him he gets all of his money you know coaches contracts you know uh, oh he gets all the guaranteed money I don't know exactly yeah. how his he, he had about 15 million left on the contract I yeah per Woj yeah. so yeah so so he gets that he doesn't have to coach this team and he now can you know figure out what's next and considering he also you know took a leave during last season for kind of as I understand stated personal slash mental health reasons it could be a good thing for him also to really get that separation figure out what he wants what he wants to do next in his basketball life so I think he's the one who comes out of this looking best. But where I think you, the, the most impo- important place to start with this is my f- initial reaction to it, which is was my first tweet on this, which is ownership is the mo- is the greatest competitive advantage in the NBA. Because the only thing that changed between July 15th and now is that Dan Gilbert found out that his team was as bad as all of us said it was. I wouldn't say that entirely. 
uh because there was this issue of lou being told before the hawks game that and joe varden was all over this at the time athletic.com slash cap space by the way if you want to sign up for, for the athletic he that article that came out saying that these guys were told hey you know what? we're going young before the hawks game jr smith cal corver chaining fry already wasn't playing you're not going to play that was an indication and, and it was basically an indication that this is an edict from management kobe alton but uh also pressure from ownership that phrase has been used several times so i mean certainly and i'm not saying that this is, isn't an indication of incompetence from gilbert but it does seem that Lou in part lost his job because he wasn't willing to go with the program. They had this one awful loss against the Hawks. And I think he decided, you know, what, if I'm going down, I'm going down my way. Now, I don't know that playing J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver was that much better than the guys that they had, but at least those guys could in theory execute the system. But then Kevin Love goes down and they lose two straight after that. Uh, were 0 and 6 at the time of the firing uh but it does seem that at least part of this was the result of him like not being willing to play ball as far as who to play but that goes back to the thing that you were talking about again which was number one the decision to continue trying to compete this year was ridiculous uh they had this aging roster with bloated contracts then they doubled down by giving kevin love this big extension we'll see how that goes but at 0 and 6 you know maybe someone will trade for him he, he's still got uh, that patina of all-starness in the Eastern Conference doesn't look like he's going to be making it this year if they keep playing like this. And he also you know, has been hobbled by injury, which is another reason why we didn't particularly care for that contract. Uh, and they didn't want, uh, or Lou didn't want to start Colin Sexton. You know, Jenny Osmond was in the starting lineup, but, you know, whether he earned that or not, who knows? Uh, had a couple good games and then he hasn't been as good recently. Uh, but this idea that oh yeah you know we're really going to compete this year we want to be good oh but we're also going to like just play these young guys who you know at least in the coach's eyes did not merit it with their play it was all just utterly ridiculous like they and yet another example of hubris of oh we're going to show lebron we're going to make the playoffs of the ac yeah you know what you didn't learn your lesson from the first time lebron was here and you didn't learn your and of course you know the gm's not going to be like oh yeah all these players that i uh that i just traded for you know in part because they're young and we can build to the next era he's not gonna be like oh yeah those guys aren't good enough uh now we have to rebuild you know it's really awkward to say that for a, a guy like altman who was has no power but i mean that was the case everyone could see it and it appears that everything is me even worse than we could have ever imagined here in cleveland Along those lines, something that Mark Stein put out there that I thought was notable is that the Cavs do not yet have a firm timetable on Kevin Love's return from injury. Oh, man. That they're considering a longer-term rest for him. And what longer-term rest means is is an open question. It, I mean, it might almost be better to not play him for his trade value, frankly, uh, and, and yep. make sure that he gets healthy. And so, I mean, you could see he is their best offensive player. He's their best player, period. And also, something you and I have talked about, I mean, when we we did, we discussed one of their games more at length earlier, of, was they don't have any other power forwards. So yes. they're running into this issue, they're running into this issue where they paid a guy a bunch of money a year earlier than they had to. And now they don't really have a replacement for him. And it, it's, it's just a, ba a bad situation. It's unfortunate. You know, you don't want any team to be bad. You don't want any team to to be mismanaged or any of that but at least Ty Lue got out early I really wonder because of the 
significant churn that Dan Gilbert has had, not only in terms of head coaches, but also general managers. What if there are calibers of coach and calibers of general manager that basically say it's not worth the trouble? I mean, he is Gilbert deserves praise among the what I consider the bad owners because of his willingness to spend. And that is an important differentiator like there. That is a lot better because then if you can you can keep your team if they're good, you can keep them at a higher level than those ones who treat the tax as a hard line or even lower than that. But if you can't put people in place and they don't feel that they have the support of management or that they're not going to be there long term because he never gives GMs more than one contract, it's going to be hard to rebuild. You can. Yeah, if they get three number one picks again, they can make it make it happen. But it's hard. It, 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 it's a real it's a real slog and it takes good fortune. It takes good management. It takes patience, it takes time. And Cleveland now, for better or for worse, they're at the beginning of this process. Well, the good news is they have a stable option as an interim coach that they can turn to. Yeah, I mean, Larry Drew has experience dealing with this. I, I like that Dan Feldman brought up the awkwardness and, and the frustration that Larry Drew had because he went through an ownership change. Actually, didn't even necessarily go through it because he got ousted for Jason Kidd in Milwaukee when their new ownership took over from Herb Cole. And he understands the importance of stability. And so it sounds like it, there's this weird phrasing that's been used so far in the reporting that he <laughs> doesn't want he's he doesn't want to be the interim coach yet he is coaching the team on an interim is, basis is, basically wait, wait, what was the exact phrasing we we have to get this uh from shams uh, of precisely uh what it was that, that his role is oh i have it larry drew hasn't agreed to take interim head coach title with cleveland but will continue as voice of head coach <laughs> as the team could look to assess their so, options so does that mean like there's he's gonna like have be he's gonna holding, be like the wizard of oz he, he's gonna be holding a puppet of like a head coach like on his hand and just like talking out of the side of his mouth as like with like you know the label head coach on this puppet <laughs> Well, and there's one other thing that I want to get out there right now. And this there there was some stuff on Twitter today going in another direction with this, which is you and I, one of our biggest disagreements that we've had in the last few years was on a Stitcher Premium podcast where we, we ranked the coaches and I had Ty Lue way lower than you did. And I was basically on the logic that he has LeBron James. We have no idea how good he actually is as a coach. I want to assert that this season is not much evidence of, of that either because they're under-talented. The way that ownership was trying to push them in different directions, dealing with injuries and all that. So I'm sure some people are going to use these six games as the vindication for their Ty Lue criticism. I am not going to do that because I just don't know what he is. I don't know how good he is as a coach. It certainly seems like the players have his support. There was some out there about the players not being happy about the firing. LeBron James certainly voiced his support very shortly after it was reported. So you have all of that and that is going to make it really hard for another front office to decide if he's their guy because we've talked about this before there's this small group of clear net positives and then there's a smaller group thankfully of clear net negatives and then there's a whole lot in the middle i don't know i'm guessing tyloo's not in the first column because there just aren't many and usually you know it but i mean there's no reason to believe that he's any any worse than a lot of these other coaches that get jobs so i'm guessing he gets one and I, it could be pretty soon i just don't know where it's going to be yeah i mean lou certainly i thought was good at dialing up sets to take advantage of his personnel his rotations were a bit odd at times uh but certainly you know he at least was able to help his team dial it up uh, through some pretty good playoff runs um nonetheless you know i've 
come more in the direction of you especially as far as just like coaching defense uh you know i don't really doesn't really appear that he had any particular aptitude for it i mean if you remember the Cavs under david blatt usually were a pretty good defense and then basically the moment that Lou took over they regressed so they did get better offensively anyway uh yeah i mean it, this larry drew thing i totally understand i mean i i tweeted this and it turned shortly before the reporting came out which was basically if i'm larry drew you better pay me or you better give me a long-term commitment and pay me at least beyond this year or why do i why do i want to have my name on this i want to be a head coach in this league someday i know this is a complete disaster you're going to tell me exactly who i have to play apparently so you're telling me i'm not gonna get to play who i want to play i'm probably gonna get fired at the end of the season and this team looks like shit like this isn't gonna help my resume and you're not gonna pay me any extra money why the hell do i want to do this so, and yeah. I do not know. Do you know how the how these contracts are structured? Like, can they force him to be the head coach? I know that basically he's paid to be on their staff. I, it certainly doesn't sound like it. I mean, you know, in some respects, it's not a great look to just not be an organizational soldier. You know, I mean, there's certainly, you know, if he wants to be a lead assistant somewhere, that's kind of part of the job description is that you get, if they want to bring someone in who has head coaching experience in the event that the coach needs to be fired. And if he's just like, no, I'm not going to do this, you know, it's sort of just assume that you're going to because you want to but i mean these are this is a pretty unique situation i think everyone knows how miserable it is to work for dan gilbert at, at this point although at least Ty Lue's comments were, uh, of course, uh, quite classy, and he even mentioned how great the organization was with Dan Gilbert after their latest loss over the weekend. All right, we got to get to some uh, 15 and 60 here. Usually we wouldn't do this, but this is uh, big enough news that we had to discuss it. Why don't we commence with the Dallas Mavericks? And because uh, I watched their game with Utah today, I have some overlapping observations there. We'll do Utah next. We'll probably just transition right into them. But uh, give us the... Well, actually, no, before we we talk about some of these stats I wanted to give you like just a little bit of primer on you know what do these mean really right and uh christian narsu a friend of the program did some work on this last year basically when do you have we don't need to go through the math of this exactly but essentially like when how many games does it take before stats can be predictive of what your team is going to look like in the future so basically you know some of these are more about the style of play of your team and others are just you know maybe a little bit more uh, luck based so some of the ones that you can trust early on in the season in theory i mean not that things can't change but you know that are more stable even after a few games pace and we've seen how fast the pace is this year so that that's an indication that this pace is going to continue uh, and that's just league-wide uh number of three-point attempts three-point attempt rate how much you get to the foul line the overall quality uh of your shots when taking into account defender distance the height difference of the players when the shot clock is a, he, he is a, a metric for that you know second spectrum has their own but basically after about five games you know that has some real predictive power number of three-pointers that your opponents are shooting that's a little bit more that's after about seven games that can mean something your win percentage after about eight games and that's 10 percent of the season you'd think that net rating same thing uh your team's turnover percentage maybe after about 10 games and then way down at the bottom the ones that are most volatile three-point percentage and opponent three-point percentage that's taken like over 20 games uh, to get to there and same thing with your own two-point percentage e-field goal percentage true shooting like those don't take quite as long but you know you got to go 10 10 games 15 games before those come in so you know we're going to obviously reference some of those stats but keep all those in mind of like okay you know if you're trying to think to yourself all right how likely is this 
to continue and we'll talk about it obviously in that context to some degree as well but that's just a good primer of which of these stats can be more stable which can we really draw some conclusions from and which of them are we saying hey this is what's happened so far but you know don't go wild here saying that this is going to continue necessarily it could but we don't know that as much so why don't we start with the the dallas mavericks and with that said they have some very interesting results in their own shot profile yeah they do so uh, this was something that actually i was going to track actually let's do their stats before i get into oh, yeah, that yeah, because yeah. i'm gonna forget they're two and four they are 20th in net rating at negative 6.1 16th in offense 25th in defense and just as a i'm not adding anything into this other than it's 538's projections i believe i'm using their carmelo their carmelo system because they actually have two forecasts now they're projected to get 26 wins which leave them tied for 13th in the western conference yeah and, and, and that includes at, that includes like the preseason projection as preseason well, right? and and their ex- talent expectations and all that stuff but it's, it's a good little kind of idea of, of where some models think that they are at this point in time and so i actually had a note in that i was going to that i wanted to research into the quality of shots for the mavericks and their opponents and lo and behold kevin pelton writes a piece on it which is great because he has better numbers than i have access to on this exact point and so what he was getting at this was i think came out on friday so it did not include their loss to the utah jazz today that the shot quality dallas is getting good shots they're third in the league at shot quality but they're seven in effective field goal percentage and then it's the opposite on the other end the opponents have the ninth worst shot quality but actually have the league's best offensive uh, or shooting efficiency numbers so generally speaking you would expect both of those to regress to the mean which would be a good thing for dallas though you still have a question of even if they do how good is that team relative to the rest of the west yeah and a particular note for them getting up a ton of three-pointers not so many today against utah but utah might have the best defense in the nba uh but they've been averaging over 43 point attempts a game uh, which is a huge number harrison barnes has returned for them from his hamstring injury hasn't looked great yet he had a struggle today three of 13 in in 34 minutes uh dorian finney smith has looked more comfortable shooting the three ball but he only played 11 uh, today hopefully he'll they'll find a way to get him some more time also uh, another really interesting stat for them before i get into the observations from today's game deandre jordan is 26 of 30 on free throws this season (laughs) i mean what a story that is like uh, as much as we talk about dj kind of being like an overrated player and and actually like the fact that he's making these free throws makes him so much more valuable as an offensive player now too i mean that's you know if you think of how often he used to get fouled number one for the hacker to not be an option against him anymore and uh, number two for him still to be a guy who draws a fair amount of fouls around the rim uh that's just really really impressive uh and he's also really been helping their offensive rebounding a lot as well and their transition game is a lot better they actually had one of the better rates in transition coming into this game against the jazz but the jazz you know are really good so they took him out of transition pretty well uh and well and something else on that i think his gravity as a role man is really helping out some of their offensive sets just because it gives guys a little bit more real estate to work with and something that the i was watching the jazz broadcast of this game and they were talking about how rudy gobert was having to work a 
lot harder because of that, because he, he kind of had to fight his own instincts a little bit because he couldn't really leave Jordan as relentlessly as he likes to, to really contest shots. So he was getting there a little bit later than he likes. And, you know, against Dallas, they're not the greatest finishers in the world. So it wasn't as catastrophic as it would be against some other teams. But it it is notable that Jordan, kind of in a weird way, like JaVale McGee, even though Jordan's way better at this, that he just, because teams respect what he can do as the role man and Dallas has so many capable passers, that he creates value just with his presence. Yeah, and to get to that offense rebounding stat, coming into tonight, 11th in the NBA in offensive rebounding, 25%, whereas a year ago, Dallas was 18%, which ranked 30th in the NBA. And the league-wide, actually, the offense rebounding is up a little bit. I think teams are actually sending more guys to the glass and also playing in transition a little bit more with a scrambled defense. I think it might be a little bit easier to get some offensive rebounds. Um, let's get to a few more uh, observations uh, from this game. We started to bleed into Utah here. Continue to think that uh, Maxi Kleba looks great. He had four blocks against the Raptors, uh, but he's a, an excellent finisher around the rim. His three-pointer has looked good this season uh, from downtown right now. Kleba is nine out of 17 on the season and drove in for a floater off a closeout today. Uh, he's got some gravity as a role man. He can get up for some dunks on occasion. And then defensively as a switch guy, he's been pretty valuable. You know, he's really playing mostly as a four on offense. I'd be very interested to see what he looks like as a five, but they also have Dwight Powell. And with Harrison Barnes back now, one of my big observations from this game is that Rick Carlisle is in a little bit of a pickle in terms of what he wants this rotation to look like because they've got Doncic, Matthews, Barnes, Smith, and DeAndre. That's probably almost too much usage in the starting lineup. Now, at least some of those guys can shoot threes, uh, which is good. You know, pretty much everyone can. Uh, you know, Smith even is a capable catch and shoot guy. He, he had a really nice game with 27 points after a pretty rough start to the season. And the problem, though, is like it seemed like Doncic really got lost. Uh, Smith didn't play the other day in Toronto, and Doncic was able to get some more looks. But with Smith going well, with Barnes going his three out of 13, Wes Matthews was like trying to post up a bunch on Donovan Mitchell, which wasn't really an advantage matchup. But like, you know, Wes has enough profile that like he's like not going to just stand around the outside necessarily so you think oh well here's the solution you got all these guys who can create put some on the second unit and sorry well the second unit once other than in this game has again been really awesome you know Dwight Powell is playing really well Kleba is playing well JJ Barea Jalen Brunson now they got Finney Smith on that second unit as well like that's 10 guys there uh with them in the starters and you know that that lineup even and then Dirk Nowitzki is going to come back soon and they got Devin Harris also so you would think all right let's like let Luka Doncic eat a little bit more on the second unit and he did leave him in for like a minute and then he banged his knee and had to take him out uh but that's been a successful second unit so it's gonna be really interesting to see I'm not sure there's a great solution for Carlisle other than to just to try to go a little more equal opportunity and with the hot hand in the first unit and keep that second unit together for now and if the second unit continues to struggle the way they did in this game against Utah where they you know some of these guys were like you know negative 12 negative 14 uh they gave up a couple of big runs to utah's bench uh with that second unit but as long as those guys in the aggregate continue to play well and we have like a whole season of a lot of those guys playing well together then it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens and then when dirk comes back is it gonna be kleba or powell who loses time you know both those guys have been really good too it also gets complicated because part of what dallas is doing is evaluating for future seasons and you have all these high usage guys but any one of them you know especially the triumvirate of luca dennis smith and harrison barnes i mean harrison barnes we've always kind of assumed that he's eventually going to make his way out but that there's by no means definite i mean 
mean, he can fit in if he has a good season with this core. He also has a player option for next year, which they could either keep him on that contract or they could move him, whatever. And so it's a lot. And and something I've noticed, part of it is because that's just the way the offense works, but it feels like Wes Matthews is ending up with the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I, was, I just mentioned that earlier, like those post-ups in the yeah. third quarter were really yeah. odd. Well, it's those post-ups, but also just like a lot of times the defense is like focusing on other things that ends up with him in the corner. And that's not a bad shot. I mean, if that's what you get, that's fine. But it's funny how I just, every once in a while, I'm just like, okay, that's, I guess that's where it's going right now. And teams are, what when teams are going to manage that, especially because Doncic, he looks so much more comfortable to me as a catch and shoot guy rather than a, his step back is still, I think it might be that he's still adjusting to the distance. So, but his catch and shoot looks totally fine to me. So that will get even better, presumably with time. Let's turn now to Utah. You want to give us uh, their fundamentals quickly before we start talking about them? Sure. Jazz are four and two plus 6.3 net rating puts them ninth in the NBA, 14th in offense, sixth in defense, 538 projection is 56 wins, which would put them number two in the Western Conference. Yeah, and the Jazz had a pretty lucky time of it going into New Orleans. Anthony Davis unable to play with an elbow injury, and they just absolutely throttled New Orleans. Rudy Gobert has had a pretty nice road trip for himself. And, and you know, sweeping at New Orleans, Dallas back-to-back, like, that's pretty solid. And Dallas, you know, we said why there are reasons to believe that they're a little bit better than their record and even net rating might indicate here. Uh, but, you know, after kind of a rough one losing at home against Memphis, they're looking better now. Uh, Donovan Mitchell didn't have to greatest start to the season and he's averaging 23 points a game had a a 38 point game earlier this week and you know he's I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him you know there are a lot of people I think it's been the case with Tatum as well that people were expecting oh man this guy is gonna like ascend at being one of the best players in the league this year like look at this step forward that he took over just one summer last year and now they're going to be like big superstars, you know, best player on a championship team type of players. So I think it's those guys are both going to be awesome. But, you know, I was talking over the summer, I think it was with David Locke actually on just my expectations for him were that he's going to just take a little bit, you know, it's going to be incremental. And then maybe three or four years from now, he's that type of player. But, you know, still a, a pretty young player, a guard. Uh, and so, you know, his stats aren't bad. He's probably a little bit below average in true shooting, taking a lot more threes this year, 44% of his shots. And again, you know, that usage, 29%, but, you know, not really getting a ton of assists that never gets a rebound. Um, but other than that, I think the Jazz really seem to be right on track. And there's no, that's not to say that Mitchell isn't even going to become that guy this year. He just hasn't quite been yet. He's been a little bit below what some people would have thought in their first five games. Uh, what do you got on these guys? Overall, I think the picture is about what we expected. Their, off, their offenses, it's all right. It's had some some better games and some worse games. And Mitchell, something that I'm keeping an eye on with him, you said he is around league average efficiency before today's game. True shooting is 55%, which is right around there. And some, I just want to keep an eye on it. So his free throw attempt rate is still solid. Like it's it's actually higher than it was last year, about about a quarter. So about about a quarter of his uh, shot attempts come from the free throw line. But it's been very concentrated. So he has three games where he has six or more attempts and three games where he has two or fewer. And that difference might not sound like a lot, but that does really affect how many fouls you're drawing and everything like that. So I, I want to keep an eye on that. It's, it's still such a small sample that I'm not really reading too much into it. I think my most notable takeaway from this is that... George Niang is a more consistent part of this rotation than I really would have anticipated. A guy that I was somewhat familiar with just because of his bouncing around the league. He was actually in camp with the Warriors a couple of years ago, but he's, you know, been a pretty consistent jump shooter so far. And he, you know, he is, 
some of it is because the other guys just with injuries and everything else aren't necessarily playing every game but he's been a part of it yeah i was critical of them giving him a fully guaranteed contract for this year he played for their g league affiliate last year after the warriors cut him and he has been really solid he's a solid shooter he's got a good track record of that i expect him to make shots but it seemed like defensively he was just going to be a little bit too slow and couldn't really do much on offense but he's actually done a very nice job of just finding cracks in the defense he's got good touch even though if he can't jump over a phone book uh so he can get in the lane especially you know there just aren't as many guys you know most power forwards don't block shots these days and so as long as there isn't some big center under the rim you know he can use his body get his shot off uh he's uh, good in this jazz system he makes he's a solid passer for his size kind of you know just like i i liken him a little bit to jared dudley's type of game uh even going back to college so i'm looking wrong so far he really gave them some good minutes and and i mentioned that that bench unit which i mean this was grayson allen who also looked very good tonight in his first night in the rotation with alec burks out uh allen yudo yang joe ingles and dante exum really broke the game open for the jazz i mean and this is that's the beauty of system basketball is that you can get guys like that uh, especially going against another team's second unit to play really well together uh exum his three ball has looked you know it's hard to really tell i mean it's about the same as usual you know and he hasn't really flashed any kind of game in the mid-range but you know he has looked very aggressive attacking the rim and that's always good to see from him because you know he's had so many injuries attacking the basket it's good to see that he's been able to maintain that aggressiveness uh and he's had a few times against the Warriors he looked real good attacking the basket as well I think you know if you have the right guy on him he could be shut down but you know that's he's got just a blinding quick first step and even if you don't have that many moves you know that that could be uh, pretty impressive. Uh, Grayson Allen, I want to talk a little bit more about his game. I mean, he really is hitting shots that a lot of rookies are not capable of making. You know, I mean, he hit like out of pick and roll, a step back going to his right that looked very comfortable when they just shaded him that way. Was able to get to the rim, slow down, show some touch on a floater. And I think he had 11 points in 13 minutes tonight. So a, another pick that's looking solid for the Jazz. I mean, I don't expect him to be a, an every night rotation guy. That'll probably be Alec Burks. And they could use a little bit more of what Alec has on that second unit getting to the basket but this is a team that's going 10 deep and they continue to develop guys and I mean Tavo Cephalosha isn't even in the rotation right now Jay Crowder sprained his ankle so we might see Cephalosha uh and Derek Favors was out with left knee soreness that's something to monitor because Favors uh periodically especially two years ago really had his uh season ruined uh by issues with his knee. it might have even been I can't remember it was two or three years ago but he, he struggled with it all really through yeah it definitely was uh three years ago and then even in that series against the Clippers you know he was just barely coming back from the knee issue as well so that's gonna be something to monitor they do need him too on that second unit because epe Udo is a solid defensive center but he's just not gonna be able to uh help these guys score and they, they could be a little bit challenged against a lot of teams although again I, as i mentioned they did score well tonight uh should we take a quick break here and then we'll move on to denver yeah sounds good so you may have noticed that i uh was quite vivacious in the open to today's show and that's surprising. I actually had a, a couple of beverages last night, and I don't normally do that too much anymore for the reason that I don't really bounce back from that as much as I used to. And, you know, my next day would kind of be pretty much ruined, whether it was a headache or just even more so just kind of feeling sluggish. But I've now actually tried morning recovery a couple of times. I went to my cousin's wedding two weeks ago as well. And again, I wouldn't normally have had that much to drink. I don't anymore. But, you know, I've had four or five glasses of wine. Usually after wine, I, I'm not feeling too great the next day in particular. Uh, but morning recovery really helped me. And I, I gave it to a couple of friends. 
that we uh, were hanging out with as well they reported that they felt better the next day as well and the reason why it works is because it combines the latest research and the best ingredients to boost your liver's natural ability to break down alcohol via a compound called dhm which has been shown to help accelerate the decomposition of toxins in your liver and morning recovery tastes pretty good too it comes in about i think it's like a three ounce bottle but you have to take my word for it because if you don't love it you'll get your money back i I really wanted to try it because i was like ah you know this is one of those things like i'm not sure you see a lot of ads or stuff like this but i actually have found that it helps so because they have a money back guarantee there's no reason not to try it and they have a special deal for our listeners go to morning recovery drink make sure you get that drink in there morning recovery drink.com slash cap space and you can get 20 percent off your entire order that doesn't matter whether you get a six pack a 12 pack a 24 pack or the 84 party pack morning recovery drink.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space as we talk about all the time on the program here that's morning recovery drink.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right, let's move on to Denver here, Danny. So a positive, very positive overall start of the season. We talked a lot about Denver because we did the Twitter NBA show on them in their only loss. They're four and one. That loss was to the Lakers. Their plus 9.9 net rating is good for sixth in the league. They're 11th in offense, still fourth in defense. And 538 projects them to win 52 games, which would be uh, right now a tie for third in the West with the Houston Rockets, who we'll talk about soon enough. And guy that I wanted to, to talk about a little bit early, you and I, like sometimes when you're watching a, a full game with the way we watch for the Twitter NBA show you end up with looking at guys like this and Monty Morris was a really positive story coming out of that game 51st pick in 2017 out of Iowa State spent last year in the G League on a two-way contract despite Denver not having a G League affiliate to this point and the overall profile you know it's still super early in the season isn't ridiculous you know like Denver has a 102 offensive rating in his 21 minutes a game his you know pick and rolls are generating he's been middle of the road in terms of effectiveness there though it is nice that he's made five of his 10 threes i was going to say half but when it's five out of ten you might as well just say five out of ten but the most important thing that morris can bring to this team is somebody who mike malone can trust at least for the interim to run the offense when some of the best players are not on the floor and i think morris is about at that level so that is a notable step for a team that you know remember last year their primary backup point guard was emmanuel moutier who was maybe the single most destructive player in the league last year yeah until they moved him uh and then they got Devin Harris and, and that was a little bit better hey Morris don't want to quite jump the gun on him you know again his, his true shooting is still under 50 percent so far but as we noted that is a very unstable stat this early in the season he so you know we could turn around and by game 20 he's just not scoring at an acceptable rate you know that's that's possible uh but everything else about his game looks really good I mean he's not an amazing finisher at the rim but he's a, a fantastic pick and roll operator one thing that's huge especially on the the second unit is he never turns it over He's only got two turnovers on the year uh, versus over 20 assists. That's really impressive. KP pointed that out the other day. So certainly to be able to get a backup point guard like him at the minimum after being on a two-way, and he's an older player too, that can certainly be worthwhile. But despite all that, really it's been with the starters on the floor that they've looked amazing. Will Barton has only played two games. He's going to be out for for quite some time here. But in some of these net ratings, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, like over 20 net ratings so far. Murray Jokic, well into double digits, uh, as is uh, Torrey Craig. 
Craig, though, I still remain concerned about his offense. I mean, right now, we talked about how he just looked bad, was not being guarded, not being shots in that Lakers game. He's got a 4.8 PR on 10% usage and true shooting percentage 44 percent that's just you know if you have that low of a usage i mean that's that's like michael curry trenton hassle level of stuff here and guys like that don't start anymore you know so now trey lyles he hasn't shot well Juancho hernan gomez hasn't shot well he made a bunch of mistakes in the first half against the lakers so maybe craig's just gonna be in the starting lineup um another thing we can talk about with them is Paul Millsap's performance so far. He's shooting only 16 of 43, and that includes only one for eight on threes. You'd think, oh, well, he's just taking a lot of threes. That's the problem. So the two-point shooting, number one, I think that's nowhere near enough threes, eight threes in five games, Danny. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. Especially if he's playing with Craig as well. I mean, you really just don't have enough shooting on the floor i think at that point you know if he's playing with barton and, it's and they have so bad. many and they have so many other guys that can benefit from having their power forward a little bit further away like jamal murray yeah. is better to me finishing than he was before but if that a guy's a, a step or two in from where he should be then it's just an extra hand that they have to another guy that they have to deal with well so and here's your other problem that if he's not okay he's gonna have the ball sometimes and a lot of people you know he got some attention for some of his post-ups and you know those didn't look great uh against the lakers certainly i think he can still be a weapon there in a favorable matchup but otherwise you should throw him the ball you know just to like run cutters off of and not expect him to go one-on-one against a guy who's his size that's not an advantage matchup for him anymore but certainly those transition post-ups i'd like to see more of those for him like he had back in atlanta or just going against a mismatch i think he could be effective there and if you must feel like oh hey he's a great defender we got to get him involved i think the way to do that actually would be and i think this is my recommendation for a lot of teams as you'll see is He's a good enough ball handler. Try running like a 4-1 pick and roll with him. You know, try to get the switch uh, and then let him, because he's a good enough dribbler, he can just back into position and, and force help. And then he's also an excellent passer. As a Like have that be like the, oh, hey, we're going to run this to get this guy involved and make him not make him feel like he's left out instead of I will throw it to him in the post against, you know, being guarded by another power forward. Uh, so, but back to the idea of the spacing, right? So where can you stand on offense when you don't have the ball? All right, you can try and post up. Well, you're going to get in people's way that way. You can try to be like at the elbows, facilitating. Uh, and, you know, and obviously Denver does plenty of that. Although Jokic is really the guy you want to be the main guy. So he's going to spend a lot of time on the baseline in that dunker position. But he's really struggled in that role uh, on Synergy's cuts category. A lot of that is just could be straight up cuts but for him it's more you know being in the in the area around the basket receiving a pass off of a drive he's only three for ten and he's got two turnovers somehow on those one of them was that ridiculous sprite that we talked about uh in the laker game where he just like barely even grazed the front of the rim with a dunk attempt uh and he's just really struggling to finish contested layups around the basket he's shooting 46 percent within three feet overall um which is in market contrast to the rest of the team everyone else on the team other than monte morris is 67 percent or better so i think you know that's all going to change uh to some degree like he's i just watched film of all of his inside shots and some of them are like okay he's not getting the elevation other ones are pretty good looks and it's just kind of bouncing off the rim you know he's not missing him terribly i mean there's a difference between you know when a guy goes up for a layup and it's like all right it hits the backboard and then the rim and you know it looks like it might have gone in versus like oh he's totally swallowed up he's getting it blocked his shot only hits the backboard you know there haven't been too many of those so uh, i think he'll come around to some degree in that respect um well and i think he'll he'll benefit a lot i mean it's going to take time because will barton's out for a while 
profile from being the, you know, in certain ways, the fifth option for them offensively in the starting five, rather than being clearly ahead of Torrey Craig, just because Will Barton, you have to defend a very different way. And also, I think Millsap is bringing value, significant value to them on the defensive end. He's a, a meaningful part. Granted, I don't think they're going to be fourth in defense this whole year. I, I walked away from the Lakers game not believing as uh, not a ton in their defense, which is kind of where it was before that. But before we leave the Nuggets for this, we should take a moment to appreciate what Nikola Jokic has done so far this year. 23 points, 10.6 rebounds, 6.2 assists per game. And those numbers aren't, you know, too far beyond what he's done in other years. But what's different is that he's being even more efficient than in other years. 33 PER, 70% true shooting on 26% usage. And while basketball references assist percentages are a lot higher than ESPN's assist rate, a 33% assist percentage is ridiculous on top of everything else. He's the best passing big man of all time. Like it's last year, other than Wilt, and you know, if you read some of Ben Taylor's work, he will talk about how Wilt would just turn into a guy who like wouldn't even attack and would just only pass at times, like almost to try and hunt stats. Like he couldn't pass and attack. Obviously, Jokic can do both of those. Uh, you know, Wilt was kind of artificially inflating it, and it was just you know it was a different game at that point too. Uh, so you know it's just a much more complex game now much better defense much harder reads zone defense is allowed so i feel comfortable i mean no no true center certainly has ever put up assist numbers like this i mean if you want to start talking about blake griffin as a big man you know then then maybe things would change but even you know i think and just some of the passes he throws are just so good i mean it's really awesome to watch um nate it's just a slow build for Hassan whiteside to take his spot oh man uh Let's move on to Golden State. Six and one. Now a markedly different start than last year when they were four and three. And the tone is markedly different as well. I thought they were going to actually not be nearly as good this year, but the defense has been solid, you know, with and. Draymond has looked a lot better early in the season defensively. Iguodala had missed a couple of games, but he's actually been bringing more energy. And the tone of Steve Kerr, you know, you remember at this time last year, he was carping about, hey, you know, this is going to be a grind. I've been telling these guys what a grind it's going to be. And now, you know, that almost maybe you could say became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, you know, they were 40 and 10 in games that Steph Curry started. So <laughs> like, you know, it's not like they were awful. Uh, and Steph is just having an unbelievable start to the season this year. But it, it is a different feeling for them, especially when you're seeing how uh, Houston, their chief competition in the West, has struggled. Um 13.9 net rating that is second in the nba their 118 offensive rating is second in the nba as well and that seventh ranked defense they project for 65 wins at the moment but we were in the building we didn't really get a chance to talk much about this that 51 point explosion from steph curry on wednesday night against the wizards is you know again you know an all-timer for curry you know probably one of his top five most ridiculous games and he hasn't really had one of those since kevin durant arrived you and i both in separate channels talked about how that game was really the first time that it felt like 2015-16 stephen curry and various people like responded to us and said oh no he's always been like this and this is the same thing i've said about Dwayne wade and a few other things which is you are doing a disservice to a player at his best to say that what he did between then and now was the same it wasn't that this was steph curry being completely unguardable for an extended period of time granted the wizards haven't done much guarding at all over the last couple weeks 
but he was beating good defenses. For those who want to see it, if you subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash cap space, I did a video breakdown of this crazy stretch where he had 16 points in two and a half minutes, which you could also narrow to 13 points in a minute and a half at the end of the first quarter. And, you know, some of it was exploiting bad defense, but he, he just had that had that confidence and was just drilling these ridiculous shots that most guys aren't even going to take. There were a lot of possessions where the players thought probably thought they were playing good defense because they were against 99% of the guys in the league. And that Steph Curry just hasn't been out there very much. And it hasn't happened very much when Durant has been on the floor, but it hasn't even that much without him. And so there's this striking element that's happened in the last couple of games where they've each Curry and Durant have had some remarkable performances. They had a stretch of four out of five halves where they had a 20 point score just in that half. Durant did it, I think twice. And then Curry did it twice. It might've been Curry three, Durant one, I can't remember which, but I mean, he would, he's just electric. Like this is as close as we've ever seen to the player who was the unanimous MVP because he's, he's, he can do all of this stuff offensively and defensively. He's been fine. I mean, it's not what you expect there. And I mean, it, it's hard sometimes to convey, just say, just watch him. I mean, you said today, every Curry game for the foreseeable future, like until this comes off is musty TV. Yeah. And he just hasn't been playing with the same level of abandon. They're just, I mean, if you were just to say, look at the highlights, like he's just taking those same ridiculous shots again. And I'm so glad to see it. My carping about kind of their lack of a supporting cast. If this means that Steph Curry is going to try and take over like this all the time, then please sign me up for their supporting cast being absolutely as shitty as possible. Uh, and then KD, I mean, his fourth quarter against the Knicks was every bit as ridiculous as what Curry did uh, on Wednesday night. He put 25 up in that quarter, including this 1-3 going to his left. That was just like one of the more ridiculous shots he's hit as a warrior as well. And they're really just out here having a great time. Clay Thompson is not having a great time. He's hit only, uh, I think, five three-pointers in the entire season. Uh, he's five out of 36 from downtown so far. And he really, like, for the first time I can remember, like, his form actually doesn't really look right. Like, he looks like he's really kind of pushing the ball. It's not compact, which is weird because he was 16 out of 29 on threes in the preseason. But, you know, they'll get him going. I, I presume it's going to happen at some point. Uh, but, you know, right now it's the KD and Steph show. And we'll see. I mean, they've played some really bad defenses uh, in the last week. I mean, they weren't looking great uh, in a two and one start. You know, they had to come back against Utah. Same thing against Denver, you know, did not look good offensively against, you know, where been, at least so far been a couple of decent defenses. It didn't look good against OKC, which is also a good defense, especially without Russell Westbrook in that first game. Uh, and then they fattened up on Phoenix, Washington, New York, and Brooklyn since then brooklyn in the form of jared dudley who you know isn't the most athletic guy but i thought that the way he played draymond green in this game was really smart and something that more teams should do a ton of where basically anytime green uh didn't have the ball he was just swarming you know not a hard double team but just in the driving lane of steph and kd and then he also was just making green take bad shots didn't he? i noted it too and it was it you don't usually see that in the regular season it makes sense that jared dudley did it because he's a, a very smart player and somebody who understands the deficiencies and also has the confidence in kind of himself and his role to be able to do that whether it was freelancing i'm guessing it was at the direction of kenny atkinson and the warriors end up with that a lot in the in the playoffs incidentally one of the most famous examples of a, that happening in the with the warriors in the playoffs is actually what draymond did to rondo i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if 
life over the next couple of years, that starts happening to him more often. And part of what Draymond, like, I remember going back to the 2015 finals when they beat the Cavs. I kept on being flummoxed that Tristan Thompson was always treating Draymond as, as the shooter instead of the passer. And he just kept on throwing these lobs to, I believe that year was Festus Azili and Mo Spates. And I, it, it was just this dynamic because Draymond Green is, is he really shoots as a last resort. And, you know, if he, if it's an open shot and he knows that he should take it because that's the offense, he will. And Jared Dudley treated him that way. And it made it a lot harder for the other Warriors to get open. And Draymond at certain moments couldn't help himself because that's really, you're kind of forcing him to say, well, like, this is still the best value play that I can do. And so I don't think we'll see that regular season game in, game out. But theoretically in the playoffs, definitely because a lot of the teams in the NBA finals look like, like the top teams in the East profile as teams that could execute this sort of a scheme. We could see it a lot more in high leverage situations. Yeah, Draymond, as the Nets almost came back on the Warriors with some crazy three-point shooting in the fourth quarter today, uh, Draymond was forced to take two floaters and a three-pointer in the last five minutes, you know, and he didn't really want to take any of those uh, by the way that Dudley was playing him. A couple more things quickly, uh, little notes uh, on them. Uh, Damian Jones, the Warriors opened the third quarter with him switching against the Nets. Uh, the problem with Jones is like he actually has pretty quick feet, but even when he's in an advantage situation for himself defensively, he still manages to foul, right? Usually you see guys foul when they're beaten and they're out of position, but Jones, he'll be in good position and then either jump at a fake that he doesn't need to jump at or, you know, kind of get his hands on the guy, even though he's in position and the guy can draw a foul. Uh, so he's got to get better there uh alfonso mckinney continues to be a, a revelation so far just the aggressiveness that he's shown shooting the three ball i mean he is just getting shots up uh some pretty aggressive attempts and uh, hitting well so far looks very confident taking it we'll see whether that shooting continues he does not have a track record as a shooter i i talked with him after the game on wednesday and he said basically that he has always been a big man playing the four you know back when playing the four meant something <laughs> that you were a big man uh and so it's really been last year in the g league was really the first time that he had uh, played a little bit more on the wing and obviously that's his role with the Warriors. he also just has an awesome nose for the boards uh and he's a pretty athletic guy he had one ridiculous block after he was beaten by spencer dinwiddie he came back from behind and just rejected his finger roll uh so he's got a lot of bounce and if he could i mean he's still gonna need to make three pointers but if he makes three pointers uh and we'll need to see him a little bit more in individual defense too you know he had one pretty ugly iso possession against dinwiddie or or i'm sorry against d'angelo russell today where he just kind of let him get the shot off instead of pressuring up and trusting his quickness so i mean he's going to need to kind of learn the league in that sort of respect and the personnel defensively but he's got a lot of tools if the shot continues to go down his offensive rebounding his hustle play his transition adds a a new element to this team um what else Uh, can i give yeah i want to give one quick stat on them this is something i pulled for my report cards for the athletic on the other forward that has established himself as a potential rotation player drebko the warriors have controlled 86 percent of the defensive rebounds when he's been on the floor and 73 percent with him on the bench and that isn't all drebko obviously i mean there are other guys he's playing with but he is sometimes out there in smaller lineups he's sometimes played power forward next to draymond green at center that was the configuration they had during the early fourth quarter when durant was going off against the knicks and drebko he just again he has 
has a nose for the ball in the defensive glass, not really on the offensive glass. And they've been throwing out this lineup that I think could end up being a, a big sign for this team of Curry, Iguodala, McKinney, Drebko, and Kavon Looney. And they're using that lineup to close sometimes the first and third. And if you notice, that lineup also doesn't include Kevin Durant because they've been using, they've been creating a little bit more of a stagger. Durant's coming out a few minutes before the end of the first and third. So we can play more in the fourth and more in the second and fourth. And that helps smooth over some of the offensive deficiencies of those lineups, a, a role that might eventually be filled by DeMarcus Cousins. But for now, Durant can really help there. That was something that I thought the Warriors could have really benefited from at moments in last year's playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, those guys both like to play together, but I think Kerr is finally with both of them rolling, able to split them up a little bit more. And we'll see when they start going against some real defenses, whether those guys can be slowed down a little bit because they're not even necessarily getting great shots right now. It's just KD and Steph have been on fire and making like really difficult shots because they're just that good. Uh, so and we'll see defenses are going to start to adjust and maybe they can start setting up other guys or clay will uh start to get hotter as well i don't think jerebko can play in the playoffs he really failed last year with utah he's just too slow uh and isn't strong enough to guard in the post either so there's not really anyone he can guard uh when you get into a playoff setting against a really good team uh last note on them kevin durant's defense you know he still has uh, some pretty bad lapses like in the second half today he gave up eight points just out of straight mental mistakes a couple times he just lost his guy like he got switched on to d'angelo russell just turned his head russell cut to the corner and got a three karis lavert just was standing on the block walked out kd thought there might be a screen there wasn't and then lavert was just didn't follow him out there lavert was wide open he gave up a back cut uh as well on what he thought would be a, a switch and there was a miscommunication so that was uh you know he'll have some of those every game but i mean he this has been the best stretch really for he and steph since they've been playing together uh not having their best stretch the houston rockets no, sir. I mean, they're, I don't want to, for them, I kind of don't even want to say their stats just because there hasn't been a representative sample here, both with Chris Paul's suspension and Harden being unavailable once Chris Paul returned from suspension. But the Houston Rockets are one in four. They are 28th in net rating, negative 11.8, 24th in offense, 27th in defense, but still projected by 538 to win 52 games, which would be tied for third with the aforementioned Denver Nuggets. And there was some scuttlebutt over the weekend about the Rockets changing their defense that they were going to kind of change off some of the switching. If It sounds like D'Antoni is kind of hedging a little bit on that strategy, but it gets into something. Tim McMahon talked about this a little bit, and it's something you and I discussed when we were figuring out, is that you can't really run the same defensive system with Carmelo Anthony that you did with their forward talent last year. Yeah, I mean, and you also just have guys who just aren't there mentally uh, yet uh, in this system, and maybe part of that is due to the uh, retirement of Bizdelic shortly before for the season part of that is because you know you can only have too many guys who don't quite know the system you know i, I mean i think like guys like about mute Ariza, like they're very important as communicators as well you know paul has been out a couple of games harden you know at least knows the system even if he doesn't play that hard he's been out with this hamstring now uh but you know having him out shouldn't have led to them just getting trucked offensively by the Clippers and, and you know I will probably talk more about Mello specifically uh, as a defender at, at a later point uh, but when he's on the floor they've been giving up 116 per 100 and they're around 105 which is about where they were last year when he's off the floor he did at least score a little bit better over the weekend when he was moved into the starting lineup a uh, few stats here though talking about their switching the rockets which is, you would think would be a good thing are forcing isolations to or on 10.7 percent of possessions at least this is the isolationist finishes the possession with a shot or a turnover uh 
that's third in the league still uh, meaning you know higher being better in theory that's usually not very efficient but they're giving up uh they're below average in terms of point per possessions and isos they're much better at that last year and then where they're really getting trucked is on post-ups we saw Montrez harrell have a career high against them in a revenge game by just getting the switch and just going right through whoever was guarding him and 11.8 percent of opponents possessions are finished by a post-up again typically pretty inefficient plays that is the most in the nba though that 11.8 percent of possessions and it's 1.9 percent higher than the next highest lakers so opponents are going at them in the post and the reason they're doing that is because they've been very successful one point per possession which again remember these are half court possessions uh that ranks 22nd in the nba so that is not very good at all and you know a lot of these post-ups are just guys going right through them getting followed getting layups uh another indication that the switching is not working as well as it did last year only 19.6 percent of opponent shots in the half court are taken as jumpers off the dribble that's supposed to be a lot higher with this switching defense but you know that's the idea right we're gonna switch then we're gonna bring adequate help the guy's gonna iso he's gonna have to shoot an inefficient jumper off the dribble and we'll get the rebound but again they're not doing a good job if the switching were working as intended that number would be a lot higher and then the last thing you can point to on offense for them that's been a problem which i think should normalize is they're shooting extremely poorly around the rim only 51.4 percent and you know the whole point of their offense is threes and shots around the rims and and free throws uh 51.4 percent is really bad Harden in particular has been struggling to finish he really uh, in that game against the Clippers the one he played in in LA that they lost he just biffed a ton of layups and the Clippers are not exactly renowned for their rim protection I mean and it was just shots where in past years if you saw him leave the hand with like that level that contests you know going with the uh, kind of a normal looking left hand layup you'd expect it to go in and he just you know was short on a lot of them he does not look to be in amazing shape right now uh just from a body composition standpoint uh but you know he's never been lower than 62 percent at the rim before uh so i i think he's he's gonna get better there he has to in there you use the phrase the isolationist and i think that would be a great nickname for harden that's that's another ben ben taylor phrase isolationist so something else i want to mention with houston that is worth tracking moving forward i again another one thing's more like shooting at the rim that i don't expect it to continue the way that it has for obvious reasons houston last year they were phenomenal at getting to the line and not fouling a lot i mean the switch system depending on how it's structured can actually help with that and then of course they have james harden and they have chris paul they can get to the line a lot right now so they they were first in offensive free throw rate and fourth in defensive free throw rate this year 28th and 28th and that is a huge swing in terms of getting easy points and giving up easy points and that getting closer to what we expect would also just take a lot of the edge off of what has been so rough for them at the start of this year yeah and again i mean they just don't have any good defensive players that they're playing right now too I mean, backup center is a nightmare for them nene is out he is actually you know gave them he was didn't play against the warriors but he gave them underrated minutes throughout last year he's a good defense of player uh you know he's out another three to four weeks with this calf issue ennis is out with the hamstring you know chris paul missed time and you know it's not unfair to expect him to be slowing down at his age defensively especially in the regular season capella hasn't quite been the same force this year either and so who's a good defensive player on this team you know you really are just struggling uh to come up with one so I, 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 it's gonna be a long time i think before we can evaluate these guys when they really get back healthy but obviously not trending in the right direction as of now and i mean and when you consider how far behind the the warriors they are i mean unless the warriors get a major injury it's hard to see how houston is going to come back and and be 
in the mix for home court advantage and you know i mean i don't think anybody else is necessarily going to run away and hide on him but uh this is a disastrous start especially with harden still you know who knows what his status is going to be uh, in the next few games and they can't face any more they can't succumb to pressure to bring him back earlier because hamstrings you cannot push them early i mean that's just that would be catastrophic for them so you have to be super patient wait a little bit too long it might feel like just to make sure that he's back because if if he re-injures this then you're starting to talk about much 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 bigger problems for this team let's move to a team that is not having much much bigger injury problems thankfully the los angeles clippers the clippers are four and two including their win on sunday against the imploding washington wizards the clippers are fifth in net rating at plus 9.9 they are 10th in offense fifth in defense and 538 projects them to win 37 games which would tie them for 10th a little bit outside of the playoff push and we're there are a couple different places we can start with them actually the very brief thing i want to say first is i periodically complain vociferously about the nba not doing a good job balancing their schedule and while this is a different circumstance because of how it happened for the rockets and and clippers la benefited so much from playing the rockets twice in a week because they didn't face chris paul and james harden in the same game and if no team ever played another team more frequently than like once every three weeks to a month these sorts of circumstances will be a lot less likely this one is somewhat different due to the suspension and the injury but it is still a point that you should avoid it for many reasons including that one certainly in full agreement there where i want to start with them these stats are going into tonight but they actually with a nice performance uh, against the wizards are now up to fifth in, in defensive rating that's going to regress coming into tonight they were 29th in the NBA in forcing turnovers, 23rd in the NBA in defensive rebounding, and that's going to be a problem all season. I mean, they, like, they've like they got one good defensive rebounder for his position, I think, basically on the whole team. Uh, I guess Beverly is probably a pretty good rebounder, but I mean, Gortat is okay, and then Harrell is a terrible defensive rebounder for a center, although he's been really good other than that. Gallo, Tobias Harris, I mean, those guys are really bad rebounders, so they're going to be a bad defensive rebounding team. And then they're fouling like crazy as well. They're 27th in the NBA in, in giving up free throws. But their e-field goal percentage given up, which uh, for new listeners, that is basically a field goal percentage that accounts for the value of three-pointers, is third in the NBA. And as we noted at the outset of this, that is one of the more volatile indicators you can get. You know, turnover percentage, rebounding, fouling, like those are more stylistic aspects of play rather than just does the ball go in or not. Much like two years ago, they are getting very, very lucky on opponent shots outside the restricted area. Opponents hitting only 32% of three-pointers against the Clippers. They are hitting only 26% on twos outside the restricted area. That is lowest in the NBA. And they are lowest in the NBA in terms of forcing floaters to miss or getting lucky that floaters are going to miss. You be the judge there. Opponents are hitting 24% of floaters against them and 29% of long mid-range shots outside the paint. None of that is going to continue. They don't have great defensive talent on this team. The offense, I think, has been outstanding. I think that can continue, but this defense will not continue. And, you know, I mean, if they if they can even get average defense out of this team over the course of the year, I think they should count themselves very lucky. But, I mean, if you look at everything other than opponent shooting, it's not looking good for them right now. And I am expecting them to regress significantly. Another reason to expect that regression is because the shot profile that teams are, are getting is not as good. And for those who remember two years ago, the Clippers were actually yes. phenomenal. They were one of the best teams at forcing mid-range shots. They weren't giving 
opening up a lot at the rim. And while teams made a fair portion of it, they were getting fewer attempts there. This year, 41% of the shots they've given up have been at the rim this year. That is among the highest in the league. Not as much for mid-range. They are doing a good job of forcing, of, of preventing three-point attempts. But a lot of those shots are going to the rim, which is not what you want. Like, that's not the trade-off. You want those to be long twos and to be mid-range shots. And they're not really forcing that. So I expect it to go in that direction. They do have, I, and it's always a concern when a team's best defensive players are guards because they just can't affect the game as much. They can't in- intimidate the rim. Things like foul rate are a lot harder to to change with, with Pat Beverly and Avery Bradley. And that actually that ties in with something I want to talk about briefly, which is that he had a really, really rough start to the year, missing a lot of shots. But Avery Bradley has been much better over the last couple of games. He had 14 points on six of 10 from the field on Friday in their win. And then he had 15 on six of 12 from the field, including three, six from three in their win on Sunday against the Wizards. And I don't know exactly what configuration of guards makes the most sense for the Clippers. I mean, if Bradley's playing more competently offensively, then then it gets to be a different circumstance. But I think one the one thing you do know is that you probably don't want to start Lou as great as he is offensively with Tobias Harris and Gallinari because it's kind of a hat on a hat on a hat. And I think they could try Beverly and Shea together. I think they could, and that, that would be worth trying. It could go in a couple different configurations. But it is good to see a little bit more from Avery Bradley because the first couple games were just so rough that you're sitting there going, well, well what is this rotation going to look like even though they have other options yeah and Shea is someone we'll talk about for sure in a more extensive breakdown on a 15 and 60 later on no doubt but he he has had a a solid start to uh, the year tonight's destruction against the wizards 136 104 it was not close from halftime onward and the clippers placed 10 players in double figures oh no i'm sorry nine players in double figures and 10 players had plus minuses of 10 or more so yes they really dominated throughout the game one player who did not have double figure plus minus or double figure scoring is marching gortop he's been getting the keith bogans in most of these games i'm guessing because it was against his former team doc played him a little more 20 games or 20 minutes tonight but he's been mostly playing like 12 minutes a game and uh he's shooting really too many post-ups too many mid-rangers when he is in there so his true shooting is below 50 percent, which is really ugly for a guy like him who you know has been one of the better finishers in the league for a long time but yeah you know, I, I think it's it's hard to imagine for him that you know he's going to be a starting center going forward here but he really is kind of the only conventional center on the roster i, I think though at this point i know he's kind of the, the kind of guy who's going to cart but if you're going to go with conventional center and you feel like you need that in the starting lineup you might as well just go with boban at this point like i'm just not sure what and at least boban can solve your defensive rebounding problems uh, and he, he'll finish around the rim a lot better than Gortat. I mean, and, and I don't think that Gortat really is like giving you such great like pick and roll defense and he's not giving you any positives. You know I mean? I think he has most of the same drawbacks as Boban, but Boban will give you some more positives uh, than Gortat. And then, you know, I think Harrell a lot of times is going to be the main guy, but it, it's still very hard to construct a good defensive lineup for this team at, at this point because they, re- and especially because uh, Gallo and Harris are the two guys that don't really have other small forwards except maybe ty wallace who's you know buried deep on the bench here uh and so those guys are still always gonna have to play a lot and neither of them are really any great shakes gal is having a good start to the year though yeah he really is and about 23 per making a bunch of threes yeah. being a a, a a nice kind of functional piece in their offense passing the ball when the situation presents itself and then he's finishing around better. the rim better than than he has again though yeah, true. you know early it's early and and this is i compiled yeah. those stats before tonight's game when he was only four out of 14 uh but uh all right i think that's all i've got uh, on them we're gonna bring in liam now uh since 
since he is on the east coast he just got back from a weekend away i don't know what he was doing want to ask him actually uh because uh, maybe he could benefit from some morning recovery but we're gonna bring him in now to do portland a little bit out of order uh that was his team this week because he's got to get to bed it's like 1 30 on the east coast right now and he actually has to go to work tomorrow but uh how was your weekend dude uh, it was good. The The recovery was mostly uh, yesterday morning. So I think I'm doing better now, but just uh, hanging with some friends over in Chicago. So good weekend for me, but not, we don't want to go too deep into that, I'm sure. Yeah, your um, voice so- sounds great. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's not the best but i mean as long as people can understand me i guess that's uh that's good enough right all but, right so so uh, uh what, what we got for the blazers here you've you've been watching them uh with rapt attention all week yeah so blazers so far three and two their offense has been on fire so far it's their third best in the league obviously all the small sample size qualifications that you want to give so damian lillard's been incredible so far 33 points per game through five games i don't want to talk you know too much about damian just because I feel like we all know what he is at this point. He's a fantastic all, you know, all NBA type player. So I don't think there's too much to dive into there. The, the guy I was really interested in watching was Zach Collins for them, just because I want to get an idea of, you know, you know what he's you know going to grow into. And so far this season, he's started out on fire. He's got an 83% true shooting percentage. But he's kind of got on a low usage, 16% usage. He doesn't get a lot of, you know, creation opportunities on those second units. And he, he, this is kind of the guy that he was coming out of college. He's a, he's a big man that can really finish inside and you know has some shooting potential from the outside he is four eight from three so far this year he's getting to the line a ton 17 percent of his shots he's getting fouled on and I, I think offensively even though he's you know, scoring incredibly well I, I don't necessarily view his upside as very high on that end just because I don't think he has much creation ability with his handle and his passing he like he had a couple passes out of the post where he was dishing to cutters but whenever he catches in traffic or has to make any quick decisions especially off those short roll plays where Damian and CJ are getting doubled really far out like he, he's really not good at those he doesn't see the floor that well and he, he had one drive for an and one this week against Mo Bamba, but that's not something that he's really shown a lot so uh, where, where are you at with Zach as far as you know his offensive skills yeah I'm in agreement with you there I mean he he'll flash some really nice passing even going back to Gonzaga uh but yeah I mean a, a a lot of turnovers and then you know even in summer league they're trying to run a lot of post-ups for him I, you know i really just haven't seen him be successful there maybe as he grows into his body a little bit more you know he can have some success but i don't, I don't think he has like great feel for moves or, or anything like that so i i do think you know he's but you know the 10th pick i think we kind of overrate what the 10th pick is sometimes and I certainly think that he could be an effective starting center for this team at some point in the future. Can I jump in for a small point here? Having watched the Yusuf Nurkic, Nick Vucevic jump shot battle at the beginning of the game again (laughs) in Orlando, I think Portland, when Dame and CJ are playing well, and there's plenty to talk about with CJ's season so far, when those guys are playing well, having a lower usage center, or at least a guy who thinks of himself as a lower usage center, could actually be a big thing for their starting offense, especially if Collins brings some defensive edge. And I'd agree with that. I mean, I think you want a guy that's comfortable in that role. I think Zach's problem is, is like I said before, if if they're going to ask him to make a lot of those four on three type uh, plays where he's making decisions and, and the, the Blazers big men haven't been great role men statistically um, as far as last year. And I think a big problem with that is no one really respects Aminu's corner shot. So he's going to be put in a lot of, you know, situations where he's going to be have, to, you know, have to make more creative plays. Like he's not going to just be a strict lob catcher dunk. He's not going to have an open paint all the time. So I, I, I think he's definitely creeping 
closing in on Nurkic's minutes. I think Nurkic's minutes overall, minutes per game overall this year are down. So that's definitely going to be something to watch, especially with how Nurkic handled losing minutes in Denver uh, as far as, you know, I don't know, shutting down or playing worse. So that's going to be something to monitor for sure. Yeah, well, he at least got paid to some degree. So uh, there's some hope that that won't be an issue. Uh, One thing that we highlighted at the start of the year uh, that you really locked in on is the decision to go away from staggering CJ and Dame and go to an all-bench unit uh, with uh, some of the new guys that they brought in, Stauskas, Curry in particular in the backcourt. How does that look so far? Well, they've been great so far, but I kind of question the sustainability of that. So they're right now they're on pace to play like nearly five times as many minutes as they did all last season with uh, with not without having Dame or McCollum on the floor. So they're scoring very well in those lineups right now, 118 offensive rating. And I think that's going to regress some. I think Stauskas is shooting like 52% from three so far. And Evan Turner's had a good start to the year. So I question if that can kind of keep up with his efficiency history. But they're they're playing a lot of those bench lineups. And it's right now those lineups are like Curry, Stauskas, Turner, Harkless, and Collins. And basically the offensive plan is, you know, Evan Turner picking rolls and posting up mismatches. And then they're going to try and run Seth Curry and Nick Stauskas off a ton of off-screen action. And what's interesting about their offseason is I think they kind of got worse in that area as far as running guys off screens. Napier and Connerton were really good last year at it, where Curry was really good in 16-17, his last season that he played. But Stauskas is actually, you know, pretty bad at it. He was 0.79 points per possession on shots off screens. And I think he has this reputation as his knockdown shooter. And he's been better the last two years, but he has some really terrible misses. I think I saw like at least three air balls in all the games that I saw this year, and some of them were bad. So he doesn't really have that shot versatility where you can, you know, have him sprinting off a pin down in the corner and catch and turn and fire. But he does offer some positives in the other way as far as his ball handling. He's actually pretty good at, you know, driving and dishing, even if he can't finish on the inside. So I I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on where you think their bench is at this year, if you thought it got worse with their offseason, and if, you know, the early part of the season's changed your mind on that at all. We did think that it had gotten worse. You know, we said that at the time when we were talking about their offseason grades. Uh, but I think they deserve some benefit of the doubt at this point to identifying guys who will fit in their system that they could make better uh, guys who are coming up uh, who have not been playing as much with them and you think of the number of guys that they've been able to find uh, who either didn't play that much in their first couple of years and then came came off their bench to have rotation roles or quality free agent signings I mean most of the free agent signings they've had have worked out pretty well with the exception of that summer of 2016 um so I you know I I I'm not willing to give up on them. I think it's working okay. Uh, And, you know, certainly I think it hasn't like hurt Dame's production at all. He's been killing it, uh, having CJ next to him. So I think keeping some of the burden off of him might have some benefits to just not say he has to do everything. One little concern that I have is they have really benefited from having Mo Harkless out out there in those lineups just because Mo Harkless, low usage guy, but can compete defensively. He should move into the starting lineup and replace Jake Lehman once he's ready for that kind of workload and granted maybe this is just me again being a skeptic on a Portland Trailblazers bench guy that will do it in a in a smaller role but I think that swap could end up making life a lot harder on Zach Collins and you can be fine I mean we've seen this with Dallas for years that you can have a more limited defensive front court as a straight bench lineup and have it work but the concept of playing Damon CJ together I think it's intriguing and I want to I really want to see how it works out we'll get a very different sample this year than what we had before last thing this is something that you mentioned as well that you'll recall that the party line 
on signing Evan Turner was, oh, finally we can play Damon CJ off the ball. And, you know, generally Evan Turner is not as good as those guys on the ball. And, you know, when he would try to throw it to them off the ball, then whoever was guarding Turner would just run over there and, you know, take away whatever curl they were trying to run or whatever, or just not guard Evan Turner in the corner or whatever. But now with Curry and Stauskas, neither of those guys being natural point guards, but with some ball handling ability, they're able to use Turner in that role a, a little bit more. Um, you noted that his defense hasn't looked good. I, I've only seen two of their games. I thought he was pretty solid against Orlando, less so against the Lakers. Uh, did you want to elaborate on that a, a little bit? Because I, I know you put that in the notes. Sure. I mean, I, it's nothing like definitive because it's only been a couple games, sure. but I think I, I just, he, he got beat off the bounce more than I remember. He looked a little bit, you know, a step slow and I think he's getting up there in age. I don't know what he is. He's got to be late twenties, almost early thirties by now, but I, I don't know. It was something I just wanted to monitor because it, it, you know, if he slips a little bit, I think some of their defensive, you know, metrics as far as have been pretty positive for the most part, but there have been, you know, slight cracks in what they did last year that made them so successful defensively. I think Nurk had just fallen back a little bit too so i don't know that was just something i wanted to monitor um over the course of this season so what did you say is the most surprising stat for uh the blazers this season well i think i mean dame's numbers are obviously ridiculous but and mccollum's have been pretty good this year but i and it, it kind of makes sense when you watch all their games but he's four for 25 at the rim so far four this season for 25 at the rim that's unbelievable I've n- i don't remember anyone ever shooting that bad over even like this many shots that's that's crazy yeah and it was so like the first you know couple games like I watched the first game and I was like oh wow he's you know off night second game same thing and then I'm like I realized like it was like every single game that he was playing like he wasn't hitting like any shots at the rim and he was he was actually getting in there a decent amount but yeah I think it's 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 a little concerning I mean obviously he's not like this dynamic athlete doesn't have a, a you know great size but I think you would have hoped you know, for a team like the Blazers that's kind of locked into their roster, like their, you know, ceiling for them to reach their ceiling or, you know, take another jump into like quasi contender status, like they need CJ to take like another jump somehow. And that's not, you know, the early signs on that aren't that great. And I know athleticism is like huge for finishing at the rim, but there are other ways to be effective there, whether it's like deception or using your body, touch shots, or even getting to the line. He doesn't really do any of that. You look at a guy like JJ Barea or, you know, somebody like Isaiah Thomas, you know, his MVP year, like, you don't need to be this, you know, huge athletic, you know, wing type to finish at the rim well. There are other ways to do it. And he's never going to be great at it, but he's got he's got to be better than what he's doing now. Yeah. If you go back the last few years, never incredibly effective at the rim, but and if you look at the stats though any year other than 1617 they're pretty consistent and the hope was 1617 is 25 he can continue to take a step forward last year instead he kind of took a little bit of a step back and really was not at the level of a second star not really at the level of, of what he's being paid at you know he's a, a, at 25 million a year uh because he doesn't do much else uh you know certainly the fact that he needs to be guarded and he's an excellent shooter is a big part of that uh but i think it was noteworthy that he took that step back last year it was noteworthy that he had that prp treatment over the summer and we're gonna have to really watch this closely because uh, again you know who knows what his trade value is potentially uh you know and obviously the idea of breaking those guys up has been floated for a long time and i've often resisted that uh, but you know i think it it might be time to listen there especially if it's kind of like all right what are we going to do with dame lillard and there's they're kind of wallowing around you know in the 500 ish area again this season that maybe going in another direction 
direction might be it but you know i'm not sure what's out there for him and i'm not sure where his trade value is around the league or you know he's obviously not going to shoot 19 percent at the rim all year uh and he's his usual 40 percent from three so i, I don't know that's going to be something to monitor i i'm glad you caught that stat because i uh had not realized it was that terrible uh, so far um all right well thanks man that was good uh why don't you uh, get some rest for uh the week this week and uh you know maybe uh drink some tea or something herbal herbal tea not non-caffeinated I, before but i honestly had i had no idea it was this bad until until you've mentioned it so it, it actually now, now it, i gotta fix it. it 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 got better i was i was i was mostly kidding around but uh yeah <laughs> nice right. so it, oh, what was what was the best place you ate in chicago by the way did you get a chance to go to some restaurants where you just kind of hanging out uh you know what uh i can't even remember the one place we went to the name so i got nothing for you i mean there were there were <laughs> there were, were, were you know periods of the weekend that are a blur to me so i'll, I'll just leave it at that but <laughs> maybe next time <laughs> all right fair enough well at least I, i'm married uh so it's good that someone in the world is like going out and having fun at least um all right, so we have been at it now for over an hour and a half, and we've done seven teams. So I think we may have to just take this to a part two here. Uh, there's just so much to talk about early in the season. We just can't discipline ourselves. I, I'm always worried that we aren't going to have enough for most of these teams. And for the Detroit Pistons, we're usually right. But for every other team, we're wrong. There's this one Pistons fan who's always complaining that we don't talk enough about the Pistons. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Sometimes he's kind of right about that. Uh, but so i think we will pack it in here and uh, come back tomorrow we'll start off with the lakers got a ton of stuff to talk about with them and don't worry you're probably actually getting more hours of content this way uh we usually don't like to break these up but uh, i don't think i can talk for like three hours tonight so uh we will be back shortly till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.